You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again. We are still going strong over here at the Food Freedom Life with this being the 19th episode. And I cannot believe that we're almost at 20. I remember when I started a podcast back in October, I think it was, Adrian did some podcast research and found out that if you make it to, I think it was 21 or 22 episodes, then you're in the top 0.5% of podcasts because most people don't make it to that number for whatever reason. They stop before then, but we are getting so close to getting there and still going strong. So I am really excited about that. I'm so appreciative that you're here and you're tuning in. It really, really means a lot. And so if you love the episode, if you love the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and give me a rating because that really goes a long way. On today's episode, I wanted to tap into my personal experience because I feel like I haven't talked about it enough recently and just share five things that I learned from eating disorder recovery. And these are really important lessons that honestly, I still remind myself of to this day. So I thought that they would be really helpful for you as you go through recovery as well. And whether you call it recovery or not, or if you just call it healing, food freedom process, your intuitive eating journey, whatever you want to call it, it does not matter. The label is is not important, but these five things are going to resonate with you as well. And honestly, there are so many more than just five things that I learned during recovery, but here are five for right now that I felt called to share with you today. And maybe in the future, I'll do five more things that I learned in recovery if you really liked the episode and you wanted to hear more. And just remember, you do not ever have to have been diagnosed in order to be valid in your struggles with food. I was never diagnosed, I was never underweight, but my story is valid and so is yours. So whether you're thinking that you're experiencing an eating disorder or disordered eating, just know that you deserve support, care, and compassion no matter what. So with that, let's get into my five lessons I learned. The first one being, it's not that serious. And when I say this, I do not mean that what you're struggling with is not serious. That's not it at all. Again, your struggle is valid. It is serious. When I say it's not that serious, I mean those things that you tell yourself that are a really big deal, that feel like the end of the world, those things that make you feel really urgent, like you need to do everything right now, you need to make all the changes right now, you need to be so good and extreme and whatever else, it's not that serious. It's not that serious that you lose five pounds for your friend's birthday party or for their wedding. It's not serious that you fit into the smaller size of jeans for a certain date. It's not that serious that you have smooth and jiggle-free stomach for summer. It's not that serious that your arms aren't perfectly toned and muscular in the tank top. It's not that serious if you eat a brownie or chips because you want them. It's not that serious if you get too full because you are really enjoying your food. It's not that serious if you miss a workout, especially if it's to rest or because you need it or you're attending some social event. It's not that serious if you miss a week or even two weeks or more of working out. I I could go on, it's just not that serious. I promise. I took everything so seriously. Every food decision felt like this ultimate test I had to pass and was constantly being judged on. And did it really matter if I lost the weight or looked a certain way for the party or in my Halloween costume or when I went home over Christmas and saw people from high school that I hadn't seen in a long time? No, it wasn't that serious. It didn't matter. None of it really mattered. All of this urgency that I created for myself 
was not actually real. It wasn't that serious. And I know that this sounds harsh, but I think that having this mentality that it's not that serious is really helpful because we do create this urgency and it makes everything feel like the stakes are just so high for every single decision. It makes it feel like everybody is expecting that we are going to be down the pant size, that we are going to be down X number of pounds, that we are going to look this very specific way. And at the end of the day, they don't really care. They care that you are well, that you are doing okay. They don't care. But we create all this internalized pressure for ourselves that everybody does care so much and that it matters so much. But honestly, for what? Nobody notices. And honestly, if people notice that, you know, you haven't lost weight or that you've gained weight, this is a whole other podcast episode that we could get into, but they are caring about their own stuff. Yes, they care about you. Absolutely. They care about you, but they are in their own world. They are in their own perspective, their own tunnel vision of how they think you should be or health should be that ultimately is irrelevant to you because they don't have to live your life. You do. And when we create this idea that it is so serious, that it's urgent, that we need to do all of these things right now, it makes us act in ways that aren't aligned and don't feel good and aren't sustainable or supportive mentally or physically. And so when you get those urgent thoughts that you need to do something ASAP about your body or your eating or whatever, just take a step back and remember, it's not that serious. I'm going to be okay as I am. And I think we sometimes tend to get those thoughts like, you know, when you're getting ready to go out for somewhere, right? You're putting on an outfit and maybe it's not looking the way that you want it to. It's not fitting the way that you want it to. And it feels like, oh my God, I need to do something about my body. I need to do something. I need to get this under control. It creates this feeling of so much heightened pressure, but it's not that serious. Put on a different outfit, put on something that fits. If you don't have anything, that's something that needs to be addressed. You need to go get something that fits. You need to go get something that works. But you do not need to change your whole entire life right now. You do not need to change everything about you right now. You do not need to lose five pounds or X number of pounds, whatever, right now. It's going to be okay. Nobody is expecting this of you except for you. So just remember, it's not that serious. My second lesson that I learned is that the time and energy spent is not worth it. And this one might be obvious. I talk about this a lot in my Instagram page. I talk about, you know, the mental load and the mental energy, the mental burden that's taken up by food and your body and exercise and your weight when you are really focusing on dieting. But it's true. It's just, it's not worth it. And I wish I had some sort of internal alarm clock that I could look at and just see how much time and energy I put into food and my body when I was deep in my obsession. Because honestly, I'm sure that the number would be horrifying. It took all of my time. But it's not like I didn't have a life, right? It's not like I was, you know, holed up in my apartment or in my house, just like totally always focusing on it. I had a life. I was a student at different times. I had four jobs while being a student. But it didn't feel in any way like school and work took up all my time and energy. It felt like my diet did. Every spare second I had was dedicated to food and to my body. 
I was tracking my calories and logging on my fitness pal. I was researching new recipes. I was entering said recipes into my fitness pal. I was cooking and preparing food. I was looking up substitutions for things. Um, I was eating food. I was thinking about food. I was avoiding eating in any way I could. I was exercising. I was researching the best way to exercise, the best cardio to do, the best weights routine. I was binging. I was trying to avoid binging. Any spare second I had, I was thinking about it. From the moment I woke up to the second I fell asleep, no matter what I was doing, food and my body were in the back of my mind always. And the worst part was that I totally normalized for myself. I thought this was just how fit people thought. I thought that this was how people who were pursuing fitness goals had to think. I thought that this was just normal. I honestly did not know any better, but it wasn't worth it. The amount of time I spent was just astronomical. And where did it get me? I mean, yeah, I lost weight, but I wasn't happy with it. It was never enough. The things that actually made me happy, truly, honestly, had nothing to do with my body or the size that it was. It was my friends, my family, school, the life goals that I was working towards, my relationship, going out and doing things, having new experiences. All of those pieces that actually made me happy had nothing to do with my body. And they were unaffected by how much weight I lost or how small I was or how toned my arms were or how flat my stomach was. The pieces of my life that were actually fulfilling were mutually exclusive from how I looked. At the time, I mean, it didn't really feel that way, right? It felt like how much fun I had when going out would be dependent on those things about my body, but they really weren't. It was my level of acceptance for myself that made a difference in how present I was and how much fun I had, which you know, I never actually got to a true level of acceptance at the time, but I blamed my body for it. I thought that if I just got to excise, I would be more accepting and then I would be happy. And at the end of it all, I can absolutely take lessons from these experiences and how much I thought about food and my body and use them to move forward. But in many ways, it was a waste of time and it wasn't worth it. It it didn't matter. And honestly, it's time and energy that I will never get back. I can use the space that I've created now and I and I have, but that time that I spent for all of those years will never be recouped. And I feel sad for that version of myself because she was doing her best, right? She was doing what she thought that she had to do. She was doing what she thought she needed to do. She didn't know any better and she was pretty trapped. So I don't look back on that time and blame her for wasting all that time and for not doing anything about it for not healing for not getting support anything like that sooner but you know I I do wish that I recognized what was happening sooner and I do wish I did something about it sooner but you know what things happen the way that they do and we can't change the past I wasted a lot of time but that era in my life evolved into a career helping others recover which is pretty cool I think and very rewarding we always do the best that we can with the information that we have at the time So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I am spending so much of my time thinking about food in my body. I feel like it's on my mind all the time. It's all consuming. Even when I'm with, you know, my family, my friends, my kids, I'm thinking about food or eating or what I'm going to eat or what I should eat or what I shouldn't eat. Or I'm thinking about my body and how much space that I take up in this world. Use that. Use that and do something about it so you don't waste any more time. You could be spending that time, that mental energy, that mental space on anything else. And 
even when you don't have free time, right? When you're spending time with your friends or your family or your kids, you could be so much more present if you didn't have food or your body at the back of your mind. If you know that you're in this all-consumed place and you're listening right now, you have the opportunity to do something about that and end the cycle. And if you're resonating with this right now, don't hesitate to reach out. My DMs on Instagram are always open. I'm always down to chat. And you might not be at that place where you're totally ready to reach out. That's that's okay. There are different stages of change. There are different stages of readiness. And it takes time to move through those stages until you're ready to actually take action and move forward. And so hopefully, you know, even if you're not feeling like you're at that place where you're ready to reach out and get support and truly dive into healing and recovery, whatever you want to call it, hopefully listening to this and just taking some time to think about it and how much time and energy this is taking up in your life is moving you forward in those stages of change and towards readiness, even if you're not there right now. This is still doing something. So that's tip number two, which is the time and energy spent is not worth it. That was one of my lessons I learned. And number three is a big one. And it's the more that you try to control, the more you lose control and the more it controls you. This was a lesson I genuinely learned the hard way, honestly, much like all of the other lessons I learned the hard way. But this one really, really, I learned the hard way. When I was in my eating disorder and I was tightly restricting my food and I'd binge, I didn't see the connection. I didn't get it. I was actually looking at my old fitness tumbler because I got my belly button re-pierced yesterday, which I'm very excited about. Last year when I got... Archie, my dog, he hit it with his paw by accident and it just, even though I'd already had the belly button pierced for like 10 years, it was, it just, I don't know, something weird happened and then it was never the same and I had to take it out. So anyway, I got it re-pierced again, but it was just interesting because when I got it pierced the first time, I did it because I had lost weight and I was super proud of it and I wanted to, you know, celebrate my body and over the years as I went through recovery, I kind of just learned to love that piercing because I felt like it made me feel sexy and it made me feel kind of fun and it was kind of fun and I don't know it was just cool to have a blinged out belly button (laughs) totally separate from my body but I was trying I wanted to make a post because I remember I posted I think on tumblr when I got my belly button pierced and I had like a picture and like a little caption and I thought it would be really cool to kind of have that and like do a comparison of then and now obviously I couldn't find the post but That was a long ramble. I was looking through my old fitness Tumblr. And if anyone else was obsessed with Tumblr back from like 2012 to 2015, you know what I'm talking about. And I saw a post that I had reblogged about avoiding binging and how to avoid binging and to not restrict yourself and everything in moderation and just like continue eating as normal after you binge, blah, blah, blah. I saw that and I was like, Brittany, (laughs) It was right there. Why didn't you take that advice as actually good advice? But I truly didn't see what I was doing in that way. I didn't think that I was actually restricting myself, which is odd because I I was. I was totally restricting myself. But in my mind, I was just eating healthy. I was eating clean. I was tracking my calories and my macros. I was doing what all the other people online were doing and we're seemingly doing just fine with it. 
So I didn't make the connection between restriction and binges when I saw that post, even though looking back, it's so obvious. And I wish I could go back and just shake myself. Like, what was I thinking? It's so clear. But at the time, I honestly thought my loss of control, it wasn't because I was restricting. It was because I thought I had a lack of willpower. I thought it was because I wasn't disciplined enough, I wasn't doing enough, I wasn't controlled enough, I thought I needed to do more to find a better way of eating, to find a better macro breakdown, to find better substitutions for foods or carbs that would curb my cravings. I thought I needed to do more when really I needed to do so much less and let go of the reins a whole lot. Control was my life. And it's really actually interesting to look back because I was highly disciplined in every other area of my life. I studied hard. I did really well in school. I got good grades. I did well in my jobs. I balanced multiple jobs at once alongside school. I did it all and I did it well. I knew I was disciplined and I could do whatever I set my mind to. Yet when it came to food, I thought there was something wrong with me that I just needed to find the perfect answer to. And then I would find that same level of like unshakable discipline that would end up allowing me to get the body of my dreams that I'd always wanted. And the thing about control with food is that the more you white knuckle grip it, right? The more you try to power through and push through and ignore your hunger and your cravings and try to substitute the hell out of all of them. And the more you try to be a robot, the bigger that pendulum is going to swing into the loss of control side. You can control a lot of things in your life, right? There are plenty of things that are within that zone of total control. How you spend your free time, your job, your partner, your friends, who you spend your time with, how you respond to certain situations, your boundaries, what TV shows you watch, what you do on the weekend. These are things that are within total control. And there are plenty of things at the same time that you have no control over, right? Like the weather, pandemics, the economy, what family you're born into, what this or that person thinks of you, what other people say, their internalized judgments. There's no control that you have over any of those things. And then thirdly, there are plenty of things that you have influence over. You don't have total control, but you don't have no control either. Things like your mental health, right? You can influence that. Um, you can do what you can to positively impact your mental health, but sometimes your brain chemistry is off, right? Like you don't have total control always over that. Same with your health. You can eat fruits and vegetables. You can try to move your body. You can eat a balanced diet, but there still might be some genetic things that you're predetermined to have happened. You can influence maybe how soon they happen, or maybe honestly, even if they happen at all, but you don't necessarily always have total control over it. And honestly, even your body size, to an extent, you have influence over, but you don't have total control. And when you try to, that's kind of when things go sideways. That's when things start to get toxic. When we try to have total control over food, you essentially are looking at food as numbers and solely as nutrients. But food is so much more than that, right? Food is not just nutrients. It's not just calories. It's not just points. It's not just macros. Food is comfort. Food is community. It's, it's sharing with other people. It's celebrating together. Food is culture right? Having those special cultural foods that you grew up with that remind you of home or remind you of your family. 
Food is creativity, experimenting with different things, trying new foods. It's adventure. It's how you explore new places, right? You go to travel and you try different things. You try the local dishes. You try restaurants that people who live there go to. Food is nostalgia. Food can take you back. You take a bite of something that your mom used to make you when you were little or your grandma would make you. It just sucks you into that time and it makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. Food is all of these really beautiful things that have nothing to do with calories or points or macros or anything. Thinking about food in these ways and experiencing food in these ways is so mentally healthy, right? You might not necessarily be eating something that's on paper the most, you know, physically healthy. Let's say, you know, a Joe Louis. I don't know why that's the first thing that came to mind. I used to love Joe Louis when I was a kid. And that Joe Louis, you know what we can say objectively, is not a health food, right? That Joe Louis is not necessarily something that the doctor is going to prescribe for you to eat. But when you really want that Joe Louis and it just takes you back to when you were a kid and you enjoyed it so much and you really looked forward to it, that's so mentally healthy. Or when you share a meal with a friend, when you go with a friend to get ice cream and you haven't seen each other in a while and you catch up and you're talking and you're laughing and you're having a great time, that is so important. And when we ignore these emotional parts of food, it leads to the rebound, right? It leads to that pendulum swing because we need those emotional sides of food as humans right? The culture, the community, the nostalgia, the comfort. These are things that food has always been to us as humans, and it will always continue to be to us as humans. And we cannot ignore it or we end up sabotaging ourselves. And so just remember that you don't have total control over your body and your food. You have influence, but that's okay. Because when you let go of that white knuckle grip and trying to have total control over it, that's when you can really clear the fog and start to listen to your body and its needs and find ease and balance because you trust yourself. You gain control without trying. You understand how foods make you feel. You understand what you need, what your body needs, and you find flow with it all. And I know that can sound super far off, but it's not. It's within reach, no matter how stuck in your disordered patterns you feel right now. So that's number three. Number four, my fourth lesson is that you can't truly heal until you put weight loss on the back burner. And this one, this is a hard, hard lesson. And honestly, it's one that I kind of had to learn the hard way multiple times. When I first started recovery, I really went all in with putting weight loss on the back burner. When I told Adrian that I had an eating disorder, and if you haven't listened to this whole story, go back to episode one of the podcast where I talk about my eating disorder story. But when I told Adrian that I had an eating disorder, I was smacked in the face with the reality of what my obsession with my weight and getting smaller was doing to my life and my mental health. So it felt really empowering and it made a lot of sense to stop focusing on my weight and put it on the on the back burner, put it to the side. And a lot of good came from that because I stopped binging fairly quickly. I wasn't thinking about food all the time. I was able to eat foods I previously restricted and not go crazy on them. And it felt really good. But fast forward probably six or eight months later, and I had gained weight. And some of my clothes weren't fitting, which is so understandable, right? My body needed to heal and feel safe and not feel like the rug was going to be ripped out from underneath it with another bout of restriction. 
and I was super restrictive previously and it's not fair to expect that my body will stay the same way that it was when I was acting that way around food and exercise. But also, I didn't love it. I had been under the impression for so long that weight gain was bad, weight loss was good. So I felt a little panicky and I remember that I decided to download, re-download my fitness pal. I thought that, you know, I would just get an idea of what I was eating in a day and figure out maybe some places that I could do a bit of tapering down, but that backfired. (laughs) I still remember logging everything in on day one. I logged at the beginning of the day so that I knew that I was, you know, hitting all my numbers. And I remember literally feeling so hungry all day. I could not stop thinking about food. I was so tuned out of my body and I felt like a primal animal. And I wasn't, I wasn't like trying to, you know, really like cut down at this point. I was just trying to put everything in so that I kind of like knew where I was at. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, aim for like this much protein and blah, blah, blah. But it just made me feel so obsessed and so hyper aware in a really bad way. And I actually ended up binging that evening, which in a way was kind of a blessing because it was a really big wake up call for me. Um, I was forced to refresh my understanding that I couldn't be focusing on weight loss. It was not the time or place. I was still healing my body. My, my mind was still healing. You know, it was my body's way of showing me like, duh, hello, remember what you were focusing on. And although this was a challenging experience, it also made me check in with my body and just show it compassion, right? I put it through so much and it still needed time. It was going through a season of healing and it gained weight and that needed to be a part of that season for me. I didn't know what the upcoming seasons would look like. I couldn't control that, but I could just do my best to let this season happen how it needed to without trying to mess with it. I also reminded myself of lesson one. It's not that serious. It's not the end of the world that I gained weight. It wasn't the end of the world that my pants weren't fitting. I was in a happy relationship. I was enjoying my life. I was trying new foods. I was just being in my life again. I was feeling like myself again, you know? And so I got new pants in a size that actually fit. And that helped really to ease that sense of urgency that I was feeling that I need to do something about this right now. I also reminded myself why I was going through this process in the first place, right? What was the point of going through all of this? Why why bother? For me, I didn't want to feel obsessed anymore. And it was so unbelievably unaligned for me, the way that I was ruining my relationships and it was making me act out of my character. I didn't want that life anymore. It wasn't worth it at all. And this is what I always have my clients start off with as well when we start working together is finding their why. What's your reason for pursuing this process? What's the point? What has continuously focusing on your body and focusing on making it smaller done to your life, to your relationships, to your mental health? What will the life that surrounds the body look like? And is that what you want? Is that conducive to you living your best life, being present in your relationships, feeling fulfilled, having new experiences and just enjoying yourself? Or will you have the body and maybe even have moments of happiness, but actually feel really hollow and preoccupied? Putting weight loss on the back burner, it's a process and it's one that needs to be chosen over and over again. And I know it's so hard, especially if you're not at a weight that you want to be at or you feel like you should weigh less. But no matter where your body's at right now, 
it's what needs to happen in order to create the space that you need for healing. My last and final lesson, number five, is if you are chasing a goalpost, it's always going to keep moving. Chasing a goalpost is not inherently a bad thing, right? Chasing a goal is what moves you forward in life and it's what helps you evolve. But when you're chasing a goalpost, when you're like, okay, I need to hit X number of pounds lost or I need to hit X number on the scale or I want to be X pant size, it's toxic. Have you ever looked at an old picture of yourself and wondered, why did I think that I was so huge and terrible looking back then? I would kill to be at that size again. It's because you were always chasing a goalpost. That's why you weren't happy at the time. Because unlike chasing, you know, financial goals or goals with your career or trying to get better at a skill or a sport, you can't just keep improving your body forever. It's going to reach a point where enough is enough. And that quote unquote enough might not be what you envision it to be. Not everybody's body can look like that Instagram fitness girl or that model for Weight Watchers or Sandra Bullock. <laughs> I don't know why Sandra came to mind, but let's just go with it. Um, our, our bodies are meant to be different, right? If a thousand people all exercised and ate the same amounts, you would still have a thousand different bodies of different shapes and sizes. Because let's say you want to lose X pounds. Are you really going to get to that place and be like, okay, sweet, I'm good now? No, you are going to be on a high from that. And you're going to be planning like, oh, how much more can I do? Let's go for five more. And I know it's easy to say, well, okay, now if I lost X number of pounds, I would be happy with it. But you wouldn't because you're still chasing that goalpost and it's never going to be enough. It's going to keep moving. If you get to a certain pant size, the same thing happens. It's like, how much more can I go? How much more can I push myself? And even if it's not a certain size or a certain number on the scale, it's a look you're going for. You're just trying to make your arms look more toned. I know that I was, for me, I say arms because I was always trying to make my arms slimmer and more toned and more muscular. And I was never happy with them. Never. I always thought there's something wrong. I was always trying to cover them up. I was always insecure. And now looking back, I'm like, my arms looked amazing. They're, they were smaller than they've ever been. What on earth was I on about? And it's wild to me because there was zero level of acceptance back then. And my arms are much bigger now than they were when I was at my smallest. And I accept them now. I don't always love the way that they look, but I accept them. I have sturdy arms. That's how I was built. That's how I was meant to be. I was meant to be strong and lift things and survive the winter. (laughs) And I've had moments where I fooled myself that I did love my body back then. But honestly, that was mostly me projecting. And again, doing that thing of, oh, I wish I was as big as I thought I was back then. Right. I definitely did have moments where I loved my body, but it wasn't actually because I loved my body. I was never genuinely happy with it. I was, it was just that I felt I was moving closer to what I should look like. And that gave me a sense of pride. Looking back, I confused that sense of pride for acceptance. And I was getting compliments from a bunch of different people. And that also made me feel really good. That gave me, again, that kind of false sense of acceptance because other people were essentially telling me that I should accept myself but I didn't actually. It wasn't true acceptance. I was just moving closer to 
a societal standard that I put so much pressure on myself to meet. And I told myself that I needed to meet in order to have fun, enjoy my life, meet men, be attractive and be desirable. My acceptance was entirely dependent on whether I was on track. That's not true acceptance. I didn't find true acceptance until I started shifting focus away from my weight and what my body looked like and towards what my body does for me and appreciating it from that side. Respecting it, taking care of it, being nicer to it, checking in with it and asking what it wants and needs, feeding it adequately. That's when acceptance happened. Because honestly, you'll never be happy with your body until you accept it because you'll always be chasing a goalpost. And so if you want to be happier with your body, it's not about the size. It's how much acceptance you extend to yourself. So those are my five lessons. Again, to recap, one, it's not that serious. Two, the time and energy spent, it's not worth it. Three, the more you try to control, the more you lose control and the more it controls you. Number four, You can't truly heal until you put weight loss on the back burner. And number five, if you're chasing a goalpost, it's always going to keep moving. I hope this message met you well today. I hope this is what you needed to hear. I hope some of these points at least really hit home for you. If any of them did and you got a lot of value in this episode, please, please, please share it with at least one friend or one family member so they can get the value that they need to move forward in their intuitive eating and self-acceptance journey. You can also take a screenshot of this podcast episode and upload it to your story or on your feed on social media. And if you do so, be sure to tag me at The Food Freedom Life and let me know what you loved about the episode so I can keep awesome messages like this coming towards you and maybe even do a part two of five other things that I've learned in recovery. And if you're stuck in your intuitive eating and you're looking for a place to start getting unstuck, to put the info that you have into practice and get personalized advice and action steps and accountability, my one-on-one coaching program is absolutely incredible and I am currently accepting clients for March. To schedule a call to see if the program is the right fit for you, go to www.brittanyallisonrd.com slash coaching and read about what's included and click the book now button to schedule a free no pressure call right now. Feel free to also DM me on Instagram and let me know you're thinking about coaching and I can answer any questions you have before we hop on a call. So again, thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next week.